Happy Halloween, everybody. It is uh, episode number 671 today. My guest is my good friend, Neil Francis. He returns to the show. And I just spent two months on the road with him and his band and the Marcus King Band and Ashland Craft. We have wound down the tour and I am home. It is the first couple of days of sitting in my house. And uh, it's a strange thing. Strange thing when you get off tour. Neil has been home for two days and then immediately started a European tour. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you live over in the UK, go see this man immediately on tour. Tour dates are at neilfrancis.com. But what I was going to say is there's this weird thing about touring where when you first get on it, you're kind of like, it reminds me of when I was young going to summer camp. You're homesick. You're missing your friends. You're missing your animals. Gertie, Gertie. And, uh, and then you kind of get conditioned and you, you get into this mode and this, uh, this vibe of like, this is what I've always wanted to do. And then you start to enjoy it. And then a couple months go by and it ends and then you step off back into real life and you're like, fuck, you know, like I drove my car today and I was just like, this is weird running errands. You don't run errands when you're on tour. You just kind of have a, a tour manager and, and, and other people handing you room keys. Here's where you're sleeping and here's your food and. And everything is just geared around doing the art. And it's a, a beautiful thing. And it's sad when it comes to an end. And I, I miss everybody on the tour. The bus drivers, the crew, the bands, Marcus, Neil, Ashlyn. Everybody uh, that worked on the tour. The, the venues, everything. So it, uh, it was a wild ride. And I want to thank everybody that came out to the shows and it was really, really cool to get to to know all these people on this tour, and especially Neil and Marcus, just talking music with these two guys. These two cats. Man, I was just shooting the shit with these two cats about music. But um, it, it's it's amazing to be with people that are such such music heads like myself and also into other things like comedy and art and architecture. These guys, you know, they go deep into the stuff they love like myself. So you just have these great late night conversations on the bus and uh, I'm going to miss it. It was great to talk to Neil again now that I've uh, toured with him and, and really got to experience his band every night. They are just fantastic. They got a new EP coming out uh, November 18th called Sentimental Garbage. And this man is a, uh, this man's a star. Marcus King is a star. I've never met anyone, I was saying, like Marcus King and Neil for that. You know, these guys are old souls. You know, like, I feel like, some people have walked the earth a few different times in different bodies, vessels, whatever. 
and they just get wiser and more laid back. I mean, Neil and Marcus are just laid back humans. Rarely see them. Rarely, if ever, looking at their phones. Never see them looking at their phones. It's none of that shit. It's weird. It's inspiring. They inspire me, man. And uh, I just love the 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 low key, just enjoying the moment type of living. And I want to try to get there a little more, uh, if I can. You know, my brain is uh, it has uh, addictive personalities. You change one addiction for something else. Everybody knows that. And if you recognize it, it's fine. Look, I'm addicted to the phone. I'm addicted to comedy. These are, these are okay addictions for the most part, you know? So, Neil Francis is here, and I want you guys to dig into his music. He has two records out. They are fantastic, and uh, what a great conversation this is. We go all over the place. Uh, you want to catch me? I will be in Las Vegas November 7th through the 13th at the Comedy Cellar. I'm also going to be out in Philly at Soul Joel's. These uh, dates are on the website. And some dates with Bill Burr in December. So get some tickets. Come see me. It's going to be nice to step into the comedy store tomorrow night for my spot number 300 of the year. I have done 299 sets so far. And number 300 will be at the store. And I can't think of a better place to do number 300 for the year. Then at the comedy store, working my ass off, still trying to get funny, still trying to uh, hang in there, man. It's a uh, it's a it's a wild ride. Thank you all the Patreoners. I want to thank you all on Patreon. There will be a bonus episode this week, and now that I am home, I will fire back up the live zooms and uh, Patreon.com/slash Dean Delray greatly helps out the podcast a new grail will be out this week all kinds of work will be going down this week and episodes and all of that for you guys thank you so much and i want to give a shout out to uh tom segura and burt kreischer for uh giving me some love on the two bears today it's so funny man you can in this biz you can be up and down in moods and little cool things like kind words go a long way, man. They go a long way. I woke up to some DMs from people going, hey, man, uh, the Two Bears podcast is giving you a lot of love. And, man, bam, I just I start to feel better. So thank you for that. This episode is brought to you by my great sponsors. I have two, and I love them both. Uh, standard and strange for all my clothing. It's funny because uh, Bert and uh, Tom were saying, "Yeah, you, Dean, these cool, these fucking dresses, cool and shit." I, I love clothing, and I get most of it at Standard and Strange. Standardandstrange.com for your denim, your boots, your leather jackets, any kind of uh, great clothing. Go to Standardandstrange.com or visit their stores, New York and New Mexico, and Berkeley, Berkeley slash Oakland. Great humans, great store, I love it. Also, 
Speaking of love, deep love for my animal, my dog, Gertie. Love this dog. She's right here next to me, taking a fierce nap on the couch. I like to feed her the best food because I want her to be around a long time. So I go to MigosDog.com. If you're in the Los Angeles area, they now deliver to your house. Migos Dog. You can also get it at Airwans and Healthy Spot. Available all over California, but if you live in Los Angeles, they are delivering now, which is just amazing. Have fresh dog food, pure premium ingredients. I could eat this stuff. I only eat clean. <laughs> I, I, I found out real quick, you eat shitty, you die quick, man. You get diabetes, you get cancer, you get all kinds of bullshit. And same with your animal. Don't be feeding them just some junk. You don't know what's in there. You know, dogs get allergies. They get uh, uh, swollen, uh, you know, bones and, and joints. And, you know, treat them right. You want them around. They are the love of your life. MigosDog.com. Also, hit them up on Instagram. Tell them I sent you. All right, I love all you guys. And uh, thank you for uh, every week tuning in to the podcast. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes and please leave a review. It really helps. And check out the YouTube channel, Dean Del Rey. Here we go. Let's get into it. A little rock talk for you, Neil Francis. Well, look at here. We are. Here we the are. Return of Neil Francis. We've been talking about it for weeks now. Yeah. And we made it. Yeah, well, when did I do? Were you on during COVID? Yeah. I remember, man. It was like um, it, it, uh, I heard the record with changes on it. And I was like, oh, I got to get this guy on. Somehow it happened. You were living in that church. And. It's the weirdest fucking thing because I interviewed Marcus years ago and I've had him on three times and then we thought about this tour and then it happens and you're on it. It's just so weird to me. For, for real, like totally weird. Here's, here's some guys that didn't know each other years ago and then you're on the podcast. Now we're on tour. Right, because I, I think when we met up in uh, Studio City when I was in L.A., a few months back, I didn't even know you were on the tour yet. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going out with this guy, Marcus King. You're like, yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm going to be there. <laughs> I'm on the tour, too. It's so funny. <laughs> I was like, hell yeah. Uh, it's so yeah. weird, though, right? Yeah. I swear to God, like, life is so bizarre to me to think about that. Just everything. Synchronicities. Uh, I, yeah. I, also, I often uh, say that life is, uh, and I've said it on my podcast for years, that your map is kind of laid out for you and you don't yeah. know it. And you're just riding on this, you know, like at Disneyland, they got the car and yeah. it has a track and you try to get it off track and it pushes you back in. Dude, I think about that all the time. So do I. It's weird. I, I have been... I actually I started talking to an, uh, a new therapist this week, and in our first call, I was like, "Well, so do you think? Do you think we have a choice in the matter?" And we like got into a heady discussion from there. Yeah, but it's like I'm always thinking about that. It's, it's weird. True, it's just, yeah, it's like you know why 
did any of this happen? You know, it, that I mean, just just that, you know, you look at that and I've had a zillion of those in my life. But just that if you went like, yeah, well, I met Marcus years ago, had him on the podcast. Then a few years later, had him on again, found out he's a comedy fan. We talked about doing a tour. Oh, COVID happened. No tour. And then meanwhile, during COVID, I interview you. Yeah, hopefully you get to go out on the road. You know, we're talking all that, and then boom, we're all together. Just that is weird. Far out, man. It really is. Some far out. It is, man. Some far out shit right there. And and you guys have been killing it every night, man. Thanks, man. It's it's so cool to see. Uh, it's like two different types of music, but all rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And the audience isn't like, nah. Mm-hmm. I only like this type of music. Right. That does not happen on this tour. Yeah, I've I've been really grateful to be on this tour. I mean, you know, we knew it was going to be awesome, but I think it even the way it's gone has exceeded our expectations just because we've just man, like the audiences are really receptive to what we're doing. It feels so good. You know, the band is getting really tight like the best we've ever felt on stage and you know it's really opened up a lot of doors for us in this last few weeks even you know yeah man it's a it's a game changer for sure and i want to compliment the crowd because the crowds have been so electric you know i go to a lot of concerts and there's kind of that cell phone world where people really aren't engaged anymore at shows Mm-hmm. But these shows have been pretty damn rowdy and rocking like old school. Yeah, I feel like at a lot of my shows, that's that tends to be the case. You know, the, the shows I've I've played, people are there to just hang and see the music and be in the moment, and that's the way I try to be at shows. The, you know, as soon as I get my phone out, I have like a superstition. I'm like, it's not gonna be cool anymore. Like, I'm not gonna be having fun as as much anymore because I'm trying to steal this moment. You know, and I'm already in it, experiencing it. And then if I bring my phone out to try and capture it, all of a sudden I'm not in it anymore. And then, like, you know, it's either going on Instagram, so that's its own problematic shit. But then, you know, regardless, I'm I'm taken out of the experience. So I'm I'm glad to have noticed that too. A couple of nights ago, we played in Chicago, which is your hometown, and it was Aragon. Aragon? Aragon Ballroom. Yeah, Aragon Ballroom, which looked like basically the Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> yeah, man. You know, without the it's boat. It's wild. Yeah, I was like, where's the boat at? Right, right. <laughs> You're waiting for the guys to come out. Ah, you skellywag. Yeah. <laughs> with those guns with the sparks come out. Yo-ho. Yeah. Maybe they used to chase the hookers, and they got rid of that. Now they have them chasing Dude, dogs. Dude, oh my God. Remember I remember that? that. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit, man. That was... That was 20, 25 years ago. I went went to Disney World. Yeah, with your parents that. back in the day? Oh, yeah. Which one, Florida or Florida. LA? Oh, wow. It was so awesome, man. Yeah. I, actually, the first time I went, I was like six. Yeah, same here. Yeah, so that was 28 years ago. Yeah. Vastly different, I'm sure. I got like a picture with Donald Duck. Dude, oh, we all, we did all yeah. that. We did like all that, and it was like, I think it was like the last day of kindergarten or something. And they surprised us, me and my brother, with it. Well, he was only two, so he didn't give a shit. But, like, yeah, you know, like, yeah. they were like, we're he going got to Disney World. We're, like, going to the airport. I was like, oh, 
oh, holy shit. Like, it's such a big deal back so, then. So, so, so big. So simple yeah. life back then. Yeah. Just a moment where your parents have the Kodak Instamatic camera. Uh-huh. You wind it. Oh, yeah. And then snap. Man, that's so crazy. Because uh, every time we go to load in or load out for tour, we go to this storage unit that's right under uh, the expressway in Chicago. It's it's so funny, man. And, like, pull the van up, and we've got all our gear in there, and I have a bunch of my, just my shit in there uh, because I live in this, like, tiny apartment right now after moving out from the church. But I have, like, I somehow became the guy who inherited all of the family photos. Oh, cool. And there was, like, a... Uh, armoire full of these old you know i don't know what are they like five by three or something yeah you know whatever that format is yeah Yeah, it's just like you know there's got to be thousands of them in there and every time we go in there i'm just like i just pick a random one i'm like here we go boys like (laughs) you know what is this gonna be sometimes i go to the goodwill and i'll see family photos like who's buying these yeah (laughs) some serial killer he's like walking around with a wallet that's my family this is my family yeah and you see the different eras of photos. So years and years, there was like a white border around mm, them. Mm-hmm. And then somewhere around 80, they came out with the borderless photo. Mm. And that was supposed to be incredible. And you'd always go down to uh, the drugstore, like a CVS or Walgreens, and they'd have them done overnight. But then the one-hour photo mm. place came out. That was weird. Like, I got to have these now. Well, I don't even know. It's been so long since I've developed film. I think I think a lot of the guys, you know, a couple of the guys in my band shoot, and you know, they they take it to like a proper lab. Right. They, they send them away or something. I had some photos uh, that I took on like a. I bought an Instamatic camera when we were in Berlin, me and my girlfriend, in April, and uh, I have yet to develop those photos because I'm just like I don't know where to take these. I know, I know, I know. And, you know, a cool thing you guys do, which is really cool, and I think we talked about it maybe on the podcast or in person in Studio City, you carry around an old VHS-like camera that the dad would have out at Mm -hmm. the soccer game. That's my son on the field, Mm -hmm. you know? And you shoot all kinds of stuff and dump it immediately into the computer Mm -hmm. And it's crazy how quick it is, and it's not a big file or anything, and it looks cool as shit. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, I think I bought... We have two VHS cameras now. I bought mine during the pandemic because we were in the position where we're just trying to do anything to garner interest. And so we were taking videos on iPhone, and then I was editing them in Premiere, and I would you know it'd be trying all these different filters and i was like oh this vhs filter is really cool but it would take like a whole day to render you know this two minute video because i had my, my, my shitty computer whatever but it was like it would take so long to render this little file and i was like why am i not just shooting it on vhs and i found out that you could do that because it's like it's like a vhs player with a camera on it essentially right. so you can like you know if you had a copy of you know an old Disney movie or something, you could throw it in there and watch it, but like uh, on your computer screen. Yeah. But, and uh, and what's the convert? How does it convert? So you got the it's ca- like a you USB. Got the, right. USB and yeah. it converts digital. Well, yeah. It's like those, you know, uh, like the, the red 
white and yellow cable. Right, right. You plug those into like this USB analog to digital converter. And it just sends it right into your computer and you're watching it in real time. And so it's been so cool. And then yeah, Alan got one too, so now we have we have two cameras that are identical. Mine's broken at the moment, but So since we uh talked and we were on the podcast, you had the record out. And uh, now you have a second record out, and you have an EP that is dropping with Strawberry Letter 22 and, like, five, six songs that I heard last week. And some of the songs on that, I was telling you, were blowing my mind. Like, the first three were so good. So what's the name of the EP? When did you record it? And why did you come up with the idea of that fantastic cover? The EP is called Sentimental Garbage, which is the title of a track on In Plain Sight, our last record. Like, I wanted to call that record Sentimental Garbage, and we ended up um, calling it In Plain Sight, which didn't appear on the record. ACDC style. Right, or Led Zeppelin, like House of the Holy. So, like, so now I'm like, all right, well, this track, In Plain Sight, is unreleased. We had four unreleased tracks from those recording sessions at uh, the church I was living in. And uh, originally, I was just going to release uh, release an A and B side, so it was going to be uh, this track. Don't want you to know, backed with in plain sight. And then you know we saw that we had all this material left over, and uh, it was suggested that oh we could just do an EP. And I was like thrilled to you know put out another 12 inch. So we're like, what are we going to call it? I'm like, let's well, you know now in plain sight's on this record. I can call it sentimental garbage. Uh, just because I get a kick of having that on a LP, I think. But um, yeah, it's just a, a compilation of unreleased material from those In Plain Sight sessions. And then the two covers, Strawberry Letter 23 and Collage, we did for Aquarium Drunkard. Right. Uh, it was like this cover series they do. And so we included those as well. And I like recorded more uh, like arrangements, uh, like... Uh, auxiliary arrangement stuff on some of the tracks too so i'm looking at it right now so very fine uh parts one and two just killer track one then uh don't you know don't you know uh don't you to know what don't, you, don't don't want you to don't know. want you to know yeah yeah i'm learning how to read i'm getting pretty good <laughs> i'm getting learned you getting, had us all fooled man i'm getting good on this tour <laughs> in plain sight those three in a row just blew my mind and here's something i called it strawberry letter 22 i think i might have think that, that it was that all my whole life strawberry letter 22 well he says that in the uh a message from you yeah strawberry letter 22 that's what i thought yeah, yeah. I, I was like am i going crazy here yeah yeah so Shuggy otis yeah yeah but it's called strawberry letter 23 yeah yeah weird because i have the re-release of the Shuggy otis and I never even noticed it that it was twenty three. I think that's I think it's, you know, in the arc of the song, which is very spacey and psychedelic and really nonsensical, he's sort of like, This is my reply, Strawberry Letter twenty three. Oh, I gotcha. I gotcha. So how did you come up with the idea of doing that cover, which is fantastic, and you guys kill it. I saw Rolling Stone did a, a cool write up oh, on it was, and shit. That was great. That was an honor. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean I've just been a huge fan of that song since I was, since I heard it. You yeah. Know, in high Isley school. Brothers also did it. Uh, Brothers Johnson. Oh, Brothers Johnson. That's right. Although 
I could hear the Isley Brothers doing a, a killer version of that, and I've always wanted to cover Isley Brothers too because yeah. they're one of those groups that just has such a deep catalog. But yeah, Shuggy is like one of my main influences. Like, he was such a brilliant composer and uh, instrumentalist, and his his vocal style is pretty laid back. Yeah, and I kind of saw that it was attainable or like uh feasible for me to attempt and so we we covered it live for a while and then when we got in the studio i wanted to do kind of a mashup of the brothers johnson version and the uh shuggy arrangement so that's kind of what we did it's interesting to watch you sing because it is a mellow laid-back vocal it's not like yeah you know yeah and i always sit there as a as a singer for all the years thinking like how is he hearing himself? Because you're not going in ears. Mm. Like to me, it just seems you got to go ear. But it's cutting. You got to have a great sound guy in the mm-hmm. house because it's cutting through. And of course, in the studio, you could be like, hello, Marco. Right. Yeah, yeah. You got headphones on and everything. Were you, when you first started singing, were you singing a different style, like louder and stuff? Man, I did not know how to sing just straight up. My, like, when I, when I started this project, I was like, I want to sing, you know, I need to sing, but I can't. And it was just like, for a while, I just groped around in the dark, kind of like <laughs> trying to sing. I Like the f- the first recording session I did for changes, I it was just a long ass vocal session because I was having to redo stuff with Sergio. God bless him. But uh, eventually, uh, you know, I started having a lesson here and there and mainly you know, the great leap forward came from touring and then also being instructed on like what good warm ups there were to do. And that's really what has like carried me to where I'm confident now. But yeah, still like uh to your to your question, like the technical aspect of it is challenging because uh I'm not putting all that much into the mic, so it has to be really hot in my monitor. Yeah, and you're and right next to the Vibrolux that's pumping out the clavinet. Yeah, and it's the really problematic, you know. Um, over the years, I've learned how to actually sing from my diaphragm and not, you know, my head or my chest, and uh, it's produced more consistent results, I'd say. It's fantastic. Thanks. I have not got to see you do it live yet because you haven't done it on this tour. No, Strawberry, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Strawberry, we would... Uh, We've been avoiding it just because there's so much, like, spacey, like, overdub shit going on that it just seems like a challenge to reproduce that without, especially without, like, an organ. Because I usually tour with an organ. And when we would cover Strawberry Letter 23, we would usually have the Hammond on stage for that. So My favorite part of the set is, well, of course, I I love, uh, the whole set has been great to watch, but... The last song, Into the Out Jam, which is kind of a, 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 in my mind, an ode to Echoes kind of, you know, which is just this great heartbeat type of pumping, you know, rhythm that's just hypnotic. And it goes and goes and goes. And I love the confidence of that, of just vamping on something, you know, and watching the crowd get hypnotized by it and then when it goes into the down 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 <laughs> and seeing the crowd go oh yeah and they react to it like ah, and then it breaks down 
you know, and then you get up and kind of bow. It's like fucking great, man. man. That's been my favorite part of the set too. We've been playing like, we have like an A set list and a B set list. And that's part of the A set list. It's called Sentimental Garbage, which has developed its own arrangement in the last year or so. That's kind of like movements and it's so fun to play. I get to like actually just focus on the synthesizer for one minute. Yeah. And I love that because you kind of just turn away. Yeah, we get like you start just dialing in knobs like. It's we, killer. We totally like. I, I see it as like a nod to kraut rock. Yeah. Like Noi or Kraftwerk or something. Oh. There's just like this weird like you know rock and roll rhythm section, but then like a synth just like thrown in there and it's just like droning or can yeah you know, like can. i dude i want to write some stuff like that and that's like another thing i was gonna say is i'm really excited like this tour has got me so excited to get back in the studio and just play with the studio basically <laughs> you know well yeah it, it, it's almost like you're starting to find this uh this whole adventure mm-hmm. of like a steely dan can Pink Floyd, Curtis Mayfield. It's just, Sweet. it's such a, it's like you roll the dice and it's like, holy shit, man, this is a kind of the cool stew that is going on right here. And I, I've been loving it. And then the songs just stick in my head all night, you Thanks, know? Uh, I can't stop the rain. Yeah. I kept saying, I can't quit cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Which, uh, you're still sober since I talked to you last, right? Yeah, man. Uh, I just got seven years on the 16th. Great. Congrats, man. It's pretty easy to stay sober around me, right? I yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck you, man. I heard that. <laughs> I'm right here, bitch. <laughs> no, dude. Uh, it's been great hanging with you, seriously. Um, just, you know, you've got a great vibe that you're bringing to this whole group of people. And I love... You, like, remember everything from your life but also just you know the interviews you've done and just anecdotes in general about shit like i kind of relate to that because i have this freakish memory for like weird stuff you know like dates and names i am somehow good at that and i feel like i relate to you on that level too so it's it's just been really fun talking to you and hanging it's funny i was at the rock and roll hall of fame there's a giant photo of james hetfield <laughs> And Jason Newstead, right? And I looked right at it. It's huge. And I said, oh, that's Russia, 91. (laughs) And the the security guard goes, what? I go, yeah, that's the Russia concert. I think it was like one million people there. And he goes, man, I've been trying to find out which gig that's from for years because people ask me. And I whipped up the video on YouTube. And he's like, I can't believe you knew. That's amazing. I just fucking knew, man. He goes, how do you know? And I go, I just know the stage i know the outfits i know the look you know i just knew it starts to just fill in right i mean like it's that's why i always like to ask like i'm not afraid to ask if i'm listening to something that i'm digging and i'm not familiar with it i used to be afraid to like ask who it is because i didn't want to like right oh look, yeah i didn't want it to look like i didn't already know i thought you this knew cool mr thing. hipster yeah yeah so it's like y- you don't you don't know like, yeah, yeah, yeah like so i'm just like now i'm just like who is this what year was it released? Yeah. Who played on it? Like, Mike, the bass player, and I are usually this, you know, driving team. So when I'm driving or he's driving, the other one's in shotgun. And so, like, the guy in shotgun is usually DJing. 
Yes. And then, like, simultaneously on the Wikipedia article for this artist or this record, and we're like, oh, so, like, James Jamerson played on this one, and, you know. Yeah, Like, yeah. oh, this was, like, the rhythm section from the Crusaders on this one, and then it was sampled by Jay Dilla, and then it was, like, you know, you just fill in all these little pieces of information, and that gives you a snapshot of, like, the history of music, yeah. you know, after a while. Because, and then, like... The cool thing about that is now I have a pretty good educated guess as to, you know, when something came out. If I have never heard it before, I'm like, oh, well, this, you know, the way that they're treating the horns on this sounds like it might have come out in like 78 or 79 based on these other recordings that I've listened to. And it's like this weird thing that totally gets you a lot of chicks no yeah. just kidding. i'm just kidding no, it's like well you can it's the nerdiest thing ever but. well you start nerding out of like well this is definitely disco horns it's not r&b early james brown type yeah because there's like that this dirty, is four on the floor right. disco thing you know yeah. dang, you know earth wind fire type of stuff yeah you get way into it and that's one thing i've loved about this tour is everyone on this tour it, it's so different from you know, I spent my life hoping to play with people that loved music. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you get a guy who likes music or he just he plays in the band or whatever. But this tour, it's so... I just, Sometimes I lay in my bunk and I think, man, I just had like a killer one-hour conversation with Neil about such and such, you know? And... Or or with Marcus, you know, Marcus and I will be talking. Marcus will be like, "Oh, that's uh, this and that," and I'm just like, everyone is like a music head on this yeah. in some era that they love. Multiple Dude, we're eras. all super nerds. Yeah, I was just looking through my phone, which <laughs> nerds who did good. Yeah, <laughs> what I love about looking through my phone right now with you because I was looking up the EP is going through some of our back and forth conversations, you know, which by the way, we've been celebrating Michael McDonald this entire tour (laughs) and we cannot stop. Let's continue that celebration. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What's not to celebrate? But I'm going through and we're going back and forth with just stuff we're sharing with each other and, um, you know, whether it be coffee or music. So I sent you over the uh, Growers of Mushrooms, Leaf Hound. Oh, my God. Yeah. That record's so cool. Oh, my we God. We were listening to that on the way into El Paso uh, after we played in Austin, between Austin and Phoenix. And that's the other thing, too. It's like now I'm, I'm like this whole year and this whole like insane touring we've been doing over the last few years, I like associate all these places with different music. Totally. Like, so I can remember driving through British Columbia listening to Donald Byrd and it was just like it's so paired with it like a good movie, you know? Yeah. Like we ran down that rabbit hole of the epic FM, the single from Steely Dan from oh, the movie. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, did it come out on Asia or was it Gaucho? And you're like, Neither. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Actually and then, neither. And then I saw the movie in the theater as a kid. And I can't even tell you anything about the movie right now. I remember the cover. It was black, and it had silver foil, mm-hmm. like when they would do foil on a cover. Yeah. I said FM, and it had all these bands, the biggest bands, and there's no way you could do that that soundtrack now. It would cost a billion dollars. Right. So I think the movie is out of print, and the record, because of the rights, obviously. Well, the record was a bestseller. I know it was like... Yeah, won Grammys and shit, I think. Because I remember after we had that conversation, I looked into it. I remember like just going down the rabbit hole on it. 
and that song is just so good but i was like i was convinced it was on asia for all these years because it just has that same production style yeah as the rest of that record how much does Steely Dan run through your mind in a writing type of situation? Because I do get some distant Steely Dan from you guys, which is fucking cool. Yeah, that, I mean, that's a huge compliment. I, I don't know how much it was really in my consciousness directly in this last round of songs I wrote. But like what they did is insanely well was just they had like this twist to the rock idiom. Totally. And it wasn't straight up jazz. It could be, but it was like, it was never out enough to like turn people away. But there was this like subtle, nuanced like treat, you know, in there that was like a little bit different, you know, th- the chord changes and the instrumentation. And I mean, they always had the best musicians the best. in the business working on their shit. So it was like, as a, as a musician, they are just the one of the greatest bands. Too. It's so good, it's man. It's crazy. And the, the lyrics are like funny yeah. and, and weird. And like for a band that was that popular to just be, you know, it kind of makes you pine for that era. If you if you didn't know any better, you'd be like, well, things were just so, so much better back then because like, look at like how popular Steely Dan was. It's like, you know, you, you can't compare it, but um, yeah, just so amazing on so many levels. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just that L.A. cocaine jazz. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and total musical elites. They were like, to me, there's those Zappa people. And they're like, anybody that played in Zappa is known as being the best of the best. Zappa right. only got the best guys. There was never a guy that was like, he's okay. <laughs> that, you don't hear that in Zappa. Same with Steely Dan. It was only the best players in that thing. Right. And I... That's, that's funny you mentioned Zappa, because, um, like, yeah, he would have auditions, right? Yeah. Where there were, like, there were, like, open auditions. I know. And he would just watch. He would actually be there and watch, like, there. hundreds of people play drums. And I think that's how he found Vinny Caliudo. Yeah. And uh, I remember hearing him tell that story. It's, it's a funny one. but uh, Yeah, Mike Keneally said that there was just kind of this word on the street that he was good. And one day his home phone rang. It's like, is this Mike? Yeah, show up tomorrow, uh, learn everything, and audition, or whatever. And he just showed up like an airplane hangar, and the band was way in the back, you know? <laughs> Scott Tunis is there, like, plug in. Is that your amp? Are you in tune? All right, go. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I <was> like, what? <laughs> I don't know. I was something like that. It's a great story. I had Keneally on the podcast, if you guys want to hear it. But Steely Dan, a lot like that being the best of the best yeah and and like yeah i feel like they didn't flex chops as much as 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 zappa did and zappa's inspiring to me you know I, I i like a lot of his music but i'm not as like you know drawn to his music on a day-to-day basis but what i am fascinated by when it comes to zappa is like just the idea of this guy who did exactly what he wanted and he was just like you know, workaholic. Yeah. But he was always editing video or writing, like physically writing these intricate, you know, rock symphonies, basically. Have you seen the documentary? Uh, which one? Zappa. Is, is, Came is, out it, like this is a recent a one? Yeah. I've seen clips from it, but it's not the a whole thing. Yet. Yeah. Because the guy was just, uh, uh, what I like about him is he was, he's the real deal. 
Oh where, yeah. Where he wasn't like, I got to get hits. He no. gave zero fucks about hits. It was about how can we be the best? This is in my head. I need to hear this. It's just keep moving. Let's do another record. Let's do another record. And he was, I'm a musician. Right. This is what we do. And he was so candid about like his opinions oh, yeah. regarding the music industry. And like, I've, I've watched several inter- like archival interviews with him. They're just, they're so funny, but he's so... He's so smart. He's, he's so smart. Clowning the interviewers. And just like, yeah, and running circles around him. He'd like, be like, did you just say dude again? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he would be like, like, you're real. You read a lot, don't you? <laughs> no, not really. I know. That's sarcastic. You know what I mean? He'd just be like, ah. It's like when I interviewed Les Claypool. Holy I could tell shit. he was just in the back of the bus like, fuck this guy. Oh, man. <laughs> we're friends, you know? I, I think we're friends. Yeah, well. <laughs> It'd be hard to know what that guy did. Let's talk about your clavinet. Uh, a lot of people love watching this. You have speaking a, of Zappa. Yeah, you have a kind of tremolo Duke. type of uh, arm on the clavinet. Yeah. So actually, uh, that entered my consciousness. Uh, the whammy clav. That is because in my early twenties, I saw a video of George Duke, who used to play for Frank Zappa. Uh, this is when he had his solo career in the late 70s. He's playing a clavinet with a whammy bar, and it's like the YouTube video to this day is is still uh, mistitled, like, check out George Duke play this freaky synth. Oh, I got to look which, that up. Which I'll show you, but like cool. the clavinet is uh, an electromechanical keyboard, and the reason, you know, the whammy bar works is because there's strings inside the clavinet it's plucked you know like a harpsichord or a clavichord more accurately and the uh it's like a floating bridge like on on a guitar like you'd have a a bigsby with a whammy bar um so it's the same principle so like this big lever comes out and bends all the strings at once and then you get this weird unique uh situation so i was in the market for a clavinet this is like I don't, I don't know, man, like nine years ago, my buddy Max Brink, who owns a Chicago Electric Piano Company, he was, he had just made it out of like this shitty rehearsal space that was above our rehearsal space in Chicago. His, his so, shop? Yeah, like his shop com- was comprised of like this, you know, 20 by 15 room, and he was just like surrounded by parts and like uh, Rhodes pianos and random shit. He like moved across the building into this bigger space, and I was like, "I want a clavinet." He's like, "I found you one. It's in Springfield, Illinois. It's four hundred bucks." Which wow. anybody who knows Killer gear deal. is like, "That's the cheapest possible." So I go down there. It's like a beater, you know. There's like shit living in it, and um, <laughs> brought it back up. I just wanted him to restore it, and he's like, "I've got this kit for a whammy bar," and I was convinced that I was like. Oh no, man! That's like a gimmick. I don't want to be that guy with the whammy bar on his keyboard. And he was like, "I'll install it, you know, for the cost of the parts. I just want to learn how to do it." And so he convinced me to do it. And now it's like, it's a really cool thing, you know, to be able to express myself, kind of like, you know, to play basically guitar on a keyboard. You know, it's kind of it's got a very similar uh, timbre to electric guitar. At the time when you saw the YouTube video, did you research who made the yes. kit? Were there multiple people? Or did some guy invent this? So, okay, so this guy, I think his name is Buddy Castle. Yeah. 
and he invented this thing he called it the castle bar and so uh from what i know that he only did a few of them in the 70s and then this guy ken rich who is still a keyboard tech in la to this day um manufactured a kit and he called it the whammy clav oh man and so he you know i uh, apparently made some improvements on buddy castle's design and then uh started manufacturing this and that's what max bought and started installing in my uh are they still clav. making that oh yeah so they still make the kit and uh actually my guitarist kellen he's a partner at chicago electric piano company and actually installs that kit in clavinets so like chicago electric piano company is probably one of the only games in town when it comes to producing that instrument how much of the clav playing are you inspired by stevie wonder of course he's the clav king yeah for sure is it is i mean who else is really known for great clav I know the Doors had it along with the Farfisa and the uh, other... You got a Whirly up there? No Whirly? No, I have a... So, on the road with me right now, I have a Yamaha CP70. Right. That uh, thing's incredible. Yeah. That's like straight up just a piano with some pickups in it. John Lennon style, right? Yeah. So, right. I mean, everybody had one. Billy Joel. When you were talking about that Russia concert, I was thinking about Billy Joel flipping a CP70 over. In Russia? Yeah. Whoa. When he was touring uh, the Soviet Union. Anyway. Um, but what, what I was going to say is uh, uh, Billy Preston is a huge guy. Uh, Sly Stone. Oh, yeah. And uh, Stevie Wonder. And, you know, like those are kind of my holy trinity of clav playing, you know. And then, like, currently, you know, can my favorite contemporary clav player is probably ivan neville oh great yeah yeah and i love that uh the uh live on the queen mary record oh hell yeah dude uh Funky so meters. the meters like oh. yeah art neville is definitely up there uh just in terms of keyboard playing in general i remember the first time i heard that i was at uh uh, in between sets at this place smiley's in bolinas out in uh you know by stinson beach and guy put on this record and he's cranking it in between our stuff and i said hey man what the fuck is this <laughs> i swear i went right over to him it took me about 10 minutes because i was just kind of in between sets chilling and i was like what's this guy playing i don't know this at all and i go because oh man meters live queen mary i bought it the next day dude yeah i played that thing for like a year along with my curtis mayfield super box set that people get ready mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh and then also i mean i was just straight up in this complete soul r&b year mm -hmm. that was just in my head like curtis i couldn't stop i always go back to that shit man always and curtis is a chicagoan and so like i always have this sort of you know hometown pride when yeah. it comes to him because he remained in chicago and built his own label there curtum and recorded all his music there and like produced other Chicago artists like the five stair steps and baby Huey and uh, a long list of others. But um, yeah, I, I, th the meters are that band that just like, it was the same reaction as you. I was just like, what the fuck is this? Couldn't believe when, I, it. when I heard it, I think I was in high school when I first got introduced to them and it was like other buddies I was playing music with were like, Oh, here's the meters greatest hits. And I was like, that was all I listened to 
for quite a while. Yeah. You know, because it's just so raw and it's like, it's that line between rock and funk, you know, and, uh, Alan Toussaint produced most of that. Who's another one of my heroes. Yeah. At the but, time I was, I was getting into jamming, but I didn't want to do hippie space jam. Right, right, right. As much as I wanted to keep, and it was almost out of necessity, too, to play three long sets, you know, to get the pay. Yeah, sure. But you're like, all right, let's just get some people are, are fucking moving and into it. Yeah. And you get that, that like, like a Throw set. a sissy strut in there. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and they're just like, we got them. And once you get them, you can just vamp for a while. Dude, that's, uh, I mean, New Orleans riff masters. Totally. That's what, that's what they are, man. And that Uptown Rulers uh, live on the Queen Mary disc like this uh, you know the story behind that it no. was like oh it was somebody's party or something it was paul mccartney's right. album release party for venus and mars crazy and so like just imagine that you know like yeah. it's like paul mccartney mick jagger everybody's at this fucking party on, on the, the queen, queen mary, mary in long beach sick and the best band on the planet is like oh. the house band and, and just uh, tons of blow yeah you dude know, like are just fucking partying you won't believe how they partied but like you know like <laughs> that parliament lyric but uh and then you know alan i think at least wrote a couple of those tunes on venus and mars and may have produced the record i know it was recorded partially at sea saint which was his Damn. studio but like he must have been there you know like it's so cool like you know we'll never get to go to those parties but we yeah. got to make our own cool party yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> fentanyl kind of wrecked those parties. That's true. That's true. And like, also <laughs> threw just, a little curve in the cocaine, dude. Uh, I honestly like cocaine yeah. was. Also, I don't want to be on cocaine, dude. Seriously, gross. yeah, it was it's like gross. Actually, before before fentanyl, like I couldn't be trusted with cocaine. Yeah, you know, it was yeah. just I've I've done my lifelong allotment yeah. already. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm like I'm good. I'm you know. <laughs> It just—it seems like to this day, you know, it's got this sex appeal built into it. Like yeah. that's the marketing behind cocaine is like this is cool, this yeah. is sexy, Dude, this is sophisticated. 54. Yeah, like, and it's just so like every time I did blow was so not was hanging with that. Paul McCartney on the Queen Mary, <laughs> listening to the meters. It was like sitting at a kitchen table with like some fucking dudes, yeah. like Yahtzee playing Yahtzee, learning like just like saying the dumbest shit ever yeah, like we're gonna go to disneyland yeah oh. like <laughs> oh my god it's hey let's go to the beach right now like no, totally. <laughs> we're gonna skydiving tomorrow when we wake up it's eight in the morning you're still up dude we'll go tomorrow yeah well we wind it down in new orleans and uh I gotta say, man, it's it's uh, it, it's been one of the greatest times of my life. I'm never gonna forget this. Uh, the first couple weeks, I was like, man, this is really fucking hard. Yeah. <laughs> and then it became uh, the calluses were on, and we we're up and running. And now it's like this is incredible. I can't believe it's been two months. We're winding it down. And I I, I gotta say, man, I got a lifelong friend in you and your bandmates. And, and and Marcus and, and the band and Ashlyn and all these people, there'll be memories that we will never forget. Yeah, I agree. This is it's been magical. And I also agree about like yeah, that first week was just so It was brutal. Brutal, man. Like even in the midst of what we've been doing this year, which has been some crazy shit. But like uh yeah, like I think now I was just talking with Mike um 
our bass player the other day it's just like i feel like i could do this indefinitely at this point <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. I could just, well like, if i could have my dog the whole time right. i'd be like that's Fuck the thing it. i'm good that's the thing it's like your loved yeah. ones not being here that's yeah that's, that's the, the only aspect. thing that's the only thing friends and your and my dog right other than that the lifelong dream is just to be a nomad on a tour bus right and when you first start doing it you're like fuck i gotta man up this is great yeah. what am i doing yeah and then you realize somebody dm me one night in the middle of the night or somebody i know and they go dude you realize that you're 56 and you're out on a crushing tour still this deep into your life and i was like that fucker's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, That's, that fucking guy is right. He's he's right, for sure. And yeah. Burr, with his late night and Dice, with their late night kind of, uh, their text, like, dude, don't worry about it. No one knows you're gone. They think you're gone a week, maybe two. No one, everybody's in their own fucking world. Right. And when you come back, you'll just be a monster from doing that tour of, of just the strength you have of like taking that donut off the bat like I was telling yeah, you. Yeah, man. For I went sure. next door and did comedy tonight and I was yeah. just like, and same with you as you're building your draw. You know, think back to those first three nights, Philly, D.C., Boston, animals out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fuck the Yankees. Yeah, fuck, fuck the, the Yankees. Yankees. <laughs> you know? Yankees suck. You know, you're looking at your guy going, go into the next song. Like, yeah. <laughs> Keep playing. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> you're going to Europe. Tell everybody the Europe dates. Man, uh, starting on uh, November 1st. No, sorry. October. Shit. November 1st. London, England. Moth Club sold out. And then... Uh, We'll we'll be going to the mainland after that. We'll be doing like twenty shows throughout the continent. So check Hit your website. Uh, check your website because it would it would take me a minute to. Uh, is it neilfrancis.com? Yeah, neilfrancis.com. And then when's the EP drop? EP is dropping November eighteenth. Sentimental garbage on ATO Records, available on a streaming service near you, and we'll have uh, physical copies available as well. I love you, man. Love you too, man. Thank you so much. And we'll, Thank you. We'll be late Thank night you. texting each other uh, music. Check this out. And yes. comedy. Oh, man. I loved when I sent you that uh, that Chappelle clip because oh, I was dude, doing that. it. Man. <laughs> the small bags are fucked. Oh, man. <laughs> That's such a good bit. <laughs> all right, guys. Uh, make sure you follow him on Instagram, Neil Francis. Uh, get all his music. He's got two albums out right now, and he's going to be touring all over the next year or so. So get on that. And thank you for tuning in to Let There Be Talk. Keep the candles lit. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube and uh, iTunes. See ya. <laughs>